Um, the first song that we sang this morning uh, had the word worthy in it. And um, the thought that God impressed upon Sister Ann's heart here this morning also was about how worthy he was. And we all know that God is worthy. That's not a hard thing for us to understand and to grasp. But there's other parts of worthy that perhaps are a little more difficult for us. I know I've heard Christians say that we are we are not worthy and we can never be worthy. And there's truth in that. <laughs> okay, don't get scared here. <laughs> there's truth in that we are not worthy. That's true. Before Christ, we are not worthy. But after Christ, the Lord expects us to walk worthy. This sort of even surprised me as I started to think about today. I've known about this day for quite a while. And a lot of times when um, I know about something that's coming up, something kind of starts working in my heart, you know, way way back when. But it didn't happen. <laughs> and Sister Ann kept calling me, and I was thinking, gee, you know, I wonder what the Lord has up his sleeve because it wasn't really, like, coming. And then the Lord gave me a song first. And as that song came to me, I said, oh, that's what, that's where we're going with this. And then the Lord started to work backwards from the song. I'm going to give you that song later. We're even going to attempt to sing it. I think you can help me out. And it's an old song. It's one of those old hymns, you know. It's not, it's not something catchy. It's not something upbeat necessarily. It's probably not something you'll remember. But it's one of those good old solid hymns that come back and minister to you at a time when you need it. And sometimes there's nothing like that, is there? And Sister Ann had uh, spoken to me and said, perhaps we could use the title, Come Walk With Me. I think those were the words she used. And the word that came to me was to walk worthy. That the Lord wants us to walk worthy, and that it's possible to walk worthy. As a matter of fact, when I started to look into the Word of God to see what that meant, and to see where it was in the Word, I knew it was there, I, but I didn't know how frequently or, or how all, all the things that, that it would bring forth, um, I was really surprised, and I was really touched by how God expects of us. We live in a world that is very, um, very desirous that we just live however we please. And if it doesn't, if you don't, if it doesn't, you know, don't let anybody tell you what to do. And if it doesn't feel good, then don't do it and all of that stuff. But, you know, when you come to the Word of God, the Word of God just ain't like that, okay? I don't know about your Bible, but I know when I read my Bible, it's just not the way it is in the Word of God. And that offends some some people, but we're either going to believe the Word of God means what it says, or we're not. And so we have to say, well, this is what the Word of God says, and so it must mean me. And I love the Word of God. The Word of God is my best friend, my treasure, because the Word of God, and when you read the Word, you find Jesus, right? Jesus is alive in the Word. There's nothing more blessed than studying and teaching and reading and devouring the Word of God. It truly is life to us. And just as a as an aside, love the Word. Get into the Word. Read it more. Study it. Write it. We live in a world where you can go to your computer, and I do this. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this. I have a Bible program on my computer, and it's wonderful. You can pull up what you're looking for just like that. But you know what? Years ago when I studied the Bible, you know how I studied it? With a pen and a pad. 
And I wrote the scriptures out. And I still have those pads, pads and pads and pads of scriptures that I wrote out when I studied the Word. And you know what happens when you write it out? Guess where else it goes? Yeah, it gets in here, it gets in here. Something happens when you write it, okay? Writing is a different thing than just popping it up on your screen and, and, and seeing it there for a few seconds. A whole different thing. Like I said, it has its place. I'm very thankful that my computer does that for me. But there's a value in studying the Word of God, writing things out, writing those scripture verses down. I encourage you to do that. Walk worthy. I looked up the word, the Greek meaning of the word walk, just to see if there was something in there that would help us out today. And one of the things I thought as women we would relate to is the meaning that was in there was continually conversant. We understand that. <laughs> as women, we are relationship-oriented, and we are more conversant than our male partners. <laughs> they don't have that piece. <laughs> and so we understand that, continually conversant. The idea here that we want to get out of it is that it is going to imply continually conversant with God. What is that? That's prayer, right? Okay? Continually, it says, it says um, men want always to pray, right? Praying always with all prayer, and continually in prayer. How, well, that that's what this walk is about. Our walk with God is a continually conversant time with Him, okay? And it's two-sided. Remember that. It's two-sided. Sometimes you got to shut up and let God speak to you. <laughs> can't always be talking to him, although it's important to talk to him and pour out your heart to him. That's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. Another part of, of walk was a word we don't use much anymore, deportment, or the way you carry yourself, okay? How we carry ourselves is the way we walk, right? <laughs> you sometimes can recognize a person from afar off by the way they walk. You say, oh, I know that. Well, how did you know that was so-and-so? Well, I can tell that's how she walks. I know, <laughs> know how she walks, or he walks, or whoever, Okay? So it's the way we carry ourselves. And to be occupied with also is a part of the word walk. And the word worthy, such a beautiful word, isn't it? Without blemish, without spot, undefiled. Now, there's a lot of people in Christianity who will tell you that it's not possible for us to walk without blemish, without spot, and undefiled. But the Bible says that that's what we should do. <laughs> the Bible says that that's what we should do. So if the Bible says that's what we should do, then it must be possible because God never asks us to do something that he does not equip us to do, enable us to do, or know that we can do. Okay? So if the Bible says that we are to walk worthy, which means without blemish, without spot, and undefiled, then it must be possible. And that's what we're going to look at today. To be women of worth, we need to walk worthy. And we're going to find out how when we look into the Word of God. I want us, though, to, uh, I'm going to ask you to take one of these songs and, and pass it around. I want you to, I want us to, oh, leave me one. I <laughs> didn't leave myself one in. <clears throat> we won't sing it now, but we will, <clears throat> we'll read it now because I'm actually going to start with you at the end and work our way back to the beginning. I'm going to go backwards today. This is a song that the Lord gave me to get me started for today. And perhaps you can read through the words with me. When he shall come, resplendent in his glory, to take his own from out this veil of night, oh, may I know the joy of his appearing. 
only at morn to walk with him in white. We have the white today, don't we? We have the snow. What's whiter than snow? <laughs> right? Nothing is whiter than snow. You hang your white sheet out against the snow and your sheet looks yellow. Right? The whitest sheet you have, brand new. You can hang it, pull it out of the package and hang it out there. And against the snow, it looks <clears throat> yellow. But when we stand before him, we want to stand before him in white. And where do we get that from? Where do we get that white robe from? We get it from his righteousness, don't we? It's not ours. See, that's why we are not worthy, but we get our worthiness from him. Right. Okay? And when I shall stand within the court of heaven, where white-robed pilgrims pass before my sight, earth's martyred saints and blood-washed overcomers, these then are they who walk with him in white. When he shall call from earth's remotest corners all who have stood triumphant in his might, oh, to be worthy then to stand beside them and in that morn to walk with him in white. I want that to be in our minds today as we go through the scriptures and as we look at this walk worthy walk. I want us to keep this thought in our minds that this is our goal. This is what we're aiming for. A lot of times when someone passes away and goes on to heaven, we mourn and we grieve and we are so sad. And, of course, that's a human, natural human response, but sometimes we carry that over a bit too far. A person who knows the Lord and has gone home to their reward, that's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. I used to tease my friends and say to them, when I die, I want you to put on my tombstone, oh, joy, <laughs> I made it, I got there. That's where I, that's, that, that's, that's joy, that's not sadness. And I think that if we really took a biblical <laughs> uh, view of our passing over, we would do it totally differently. We wouldn't come together and grieve the old corpse and remains. We would come together and celebrate that another person has made it home safely to the other side where we're all going. And in order to stand worthy in that day, in order to stand in that white robe in that day with those who have gone before, we need to walk here and now worthy. There's something that comes before, right? You can't get to the end before you start. <laughs> you have to start from the beginning. I just want to start with some of the people and some of the places in the Bible that talked about being blameless or walking worthy. First of all, there was Abraham. He was 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am almighty God. Walk before me. And be blameless. Hmm. Even then. Now think about this. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about this. But, you know, before the cross, those people, live, it, it was a whole different, whole different thing. We don't really understand it because we're just so used to being saved and to having the cross behind us. But you try and think about these people who had faith, who exercised their faith in God without the cross being a fact. And that was what God honored them for. They believed in advance. <laughs> they believed it was coming. They believed that God would send his son, the Redeemer. And God honored their faith without what we have. Now, now think about it. Think of your life before Christ. <coughs> Empty. Okay? They never had what we call a salvation experience. They didn't have it. There was no cross. 
There was no Redeemer. They believed in God. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not being heretical. (laughs) They believed in God. They loved God. Abraham was a friend of God. But what we call salvation, they did not have that experience. You understand what I'm saying to you? Okay? And yet God said to Abraham, way before the cross, walk before me and be blameless. Remember, God doesn't say anything that he can't be done. God said of Job many times, my servant Job. Have you seen my servant Job? He's blameless. Now, Job was way back here in the beginning also. Okay? My servant Job. He's blameless. And then we have in the New Testament, we're going to come back to this. We have that beautiful couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, also before Christ. Okay? We'll get closer, but they were still before. And then, after Christ, the Apostle Paul and even Peter praise in many places about us being blameless. Um, In Philippians, we have this verse, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, we tend to think, that we live in the worst time that there ever was. Well, I don't know. Maybe we do. I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. But, you know, the Christians that lived in the time of Paul and after, you know who was there, the Roman leader? What was his name? You remember Nero? And what did Nero do? Nero had a party and put stakes around the garden. And on those stakes, to light his garden at night, he put Christians and he burns them so that he could have light. As he had his party, he literally martyred thousands of Christians. Was it a good time then? <laughs> I don't know. Is our world worse today? I don't know. <laughs> are, are, there's, there's plenty of evil, but I think there has always been plenty of evil. And that's just human nature. And so here... It says it's a crooked and perversity. That's what it, it said way back here in, in, in the Bible, two, more than 2,000 years ago. Among whom you walk in a crooked and perverse generation. So you can't say, oh, well, it's the time. It's so evil. So it's okay to be evil. I can't be blameless. Wait a minute. It says it way back here that it was crooked and perverse. Okay? Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless. We don't think of complaining as something that's even wrong, okay? However, and I, I know I speak from experience, okay? It's easy to fall into complaining. It's very easy because when you go to work, what do they do? Oh, it's Monday morning. Oh, my goodness, here we go again. And by the time Friday comes around, they're not happy then either. It's like, oh, yeah, but it's not going to be nice weather this weekend. So, oh, <laughs> okay, what do we want here? <laughs> it's not what we want. It's a habit. It's a habit that we can fall into. I uh, spent a lot of summers of my life working at a camp, and um, I loved that camp. It was a beautiful place, and um, the pastors of that camp were dear friends to my family, and I worked in many different capacities at that camp. And first I was a camper, you know, and that was fun. I mean, you know, I was a kid, and I had a great time, and you went swimming every day, and just had a wonderful time. It was wonderful, wonderful meetings, blessed times. And then I turned 16, and when you turned 16, you got to work on the staff for free, you know. It was volunteers. 
And uh, it was hard work. And uh, I fell in with a group of, of girls that were complainers. Complained about everything under the sun. I mean, from the fact that, you, you know, like, it's camp, okay? We had to go from our bedroom. We had to go down the steps and across to the bathroom. You know, it wasn't like you had a bathroom in your, in your dwelling. Well, we, they complained about that. They complained about the mattresses. They complained about I mean, you name it, they complained about it. And you know what? So did I. Why? Because I was surrounded with it, right? So when I got home, I was saying, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, what was, what, what's going on here? All the time before, all this time before, I had loved this place. It was like the best place in the world. And now here I am coming home, complaining and griping. Oh, I'm so glad to be home. It's like, what's going on here? Wake up, Rujoy. What, what, what happened here? And then the Lord started to deal with me. We started to have staff meetings for the next year, and we started to read this chapter in Acts about the Grecians who complained. And uh, <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't want me to complain, huh? And the Lord helped me. He really helped me. The next year, the girl who I roomed with, I roomed with her for six weeks, and we had to move from one place to another. And she was able to say to somebody one day, she didn't know I was, I was, I don't know if she knew I was within earshot, but she said, oh, no, she said, Ruth Joy never complains. She said she always has a good word to say about whatever the situation. And I, when, when she said that, I said, oh, Lord, you really helped me. You really helped me. That was a change because it hadn't been that way. And so I just tell you that to show you that it's very easy for us without realizing it to fall into that pattern of complaining. But we need to catch ourselves because the Israelites stayed out of the promised land because they murmured and complained and didn't believe God. And they were wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay? <laughs> That's one of the ways to be blameless, not to complain. And the Lord, this is Thessalonians 3, 12 to 13, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul prays this for the Thessalonians. You can pray it. Did you ever take the prayers of the people in the Bible? Pray them. Some of them are better prayers than you could ever figure out praying in your whole life. And you'd be amazed what will happen when you start to pray the prayers of the Bible. There it talks about abounding in love is one of the ways to be blameless. That's a good lesson for us to learn. Love. To love people. To love one another. When you hear something about somebody that's not good, don't, don't repeat it. Love them. Pray for them. You can love them by praying for them. And not by getting somebody else and say, come on, we got to pray for this person, because you know why? <laughs> That's not love. <laughs> That's gossip in sanctimonious clothes, okay? You pray for them. You love them. Find a way to love them. You know, love wins where nothing else does. And when you can reach out to someone in love, except for the grace of God, we're all in the same boat, right? We're sinners saved by grace. And we're all capable of every degenerate imaginable thing that anybody else you see doing, it could be you. Because that's just the way the human heart is. The human heart is wicked, desperately wicked, and that's the way it is. And so you just have to come to grips with that. And Christians aren't perfect, they're forgiven. You've heard that saying, haven't you? And it's a nice saying. 
But let's put it in action. Because we need that as Christians. We need to love one another. Not expect one another to be perfect. But love one another. Sincerely love one another. I, we have come to worship in a church we had, before we moved to Pennsylvania in New Jersey that uh, is pastored by friends, dear friends of my husband. And the name of that church is Agape Worship Center. Agape, of course, meaning God's love. And I can truly tell you, it is the most loving assembly I have ever been in. When you walk into that place, you feel love. That it's a gift that that, that, that that church has. And I know every church has its own gift. And I'm not saying every church should be like that because every church has its own function and its own purpose, just like each of us as individuals. But it certainly is, a, is love is something that, that, that reaches so far. And it's certainly something that we can strive towards. Another one in First Thessalonians is, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And that gives us hope. No, we can't do it on our own, but we don't have to do it on our own. Okay? That's a silly thought. Where would that come from? Why do you think that we have to do it on our own? Jesus never asked us to do that. He always is asking us, to let him be himself within us, to live out his life within us so that he can perfect us and he can make us to walk blameless. And then we have those wonderful, beautiful words to Timothy by Paul, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. So here he encourages a young minister to be blameless, to be without spot, to walk worthy, to walk worthy. And in Peter, Peter uses it also. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent to be found without spot and blameless. Found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, can you say that you've spent this week in peace or have you spent it in unrest? Sometimes we just allow any little thing and every little thing to disrupt our peace. And God wants us to have his peace. He's in control. If I believe God is who he said he is, then I can have peace. And that's one of the things I think that really changes your whole Christian life is when you start to begin to understand a little bit about who God is, what he is, some of his attributes. And if you've never studied that, I urge you to study. Take, find a book in a Christian bookstore that talks about the attributes of God and what God is. Find one that you can understand. Some of them are very heady, <laughs> very big words, and you can't get it. Find one you can understand. Um, Malcolm Smith is somebody who I listened to some tapes on who uh, talks about the attributes of God. I don't know if there's a, if he wrote a book. Uh, I don't know if it was in a book. But um, I'm sure you can find a good book on the attributes of God. And it changes your Christian life. It changes you when you really, really know who God is. When you know who God is, you cannot worry. You cannot be anxious. You cannot stop believing in him because you know who he is. And God is who he is all the time, not sometimes. Not because he woke up and feels good. Not because he woke up and feels bad. God is always the same. We don't have that. But he does. And when you know who God is, 
you're okay. <laughs> That's right. You're okay. All right? Then there are those two words together in Scripture in Ephesians. Um, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, we see here, <coughs> excuse me, again we see here that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We see here some other qualities, the lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, okay? So we see that being blameless, there's much to being blameless, isn't there? There's much entailed. We could never go through it in a whole day. We could spend, we could spend a week, maybe more, <laughs> just trying to figure, understanding all the parts. Then there's Colossians 1, 9 to 10 where it says that we, for this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There you have it. Okay? Tremendous scriptures. Um, and then in Thessalonians, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And in Second Thessalonians, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to come back to this one also. In the book of Revelation, you know, in the beginning part, John writes to seven churches and gives them a little assessment. <laughs> I always wish that the, I could get a letter from the Lord with a little assessment of our church, you know. <laughs> Come on, the Lord, help us out here so we can keep it going right, you know. Um, but those seven we have, and it says, You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There we have it again. Okay. So that's what come, that's how we walk worthy. There's a way to walk worthy so that when we stand before him, we will be among those blood washed, that blood washed number who has on their white robes. I know we joke about that sometimes, but it's not a joking matter. <laughs> it's a serious, serious matter. So there you see, and I, I tried to go through that quickly. I'm probably got a little sidetracked there, but you see there that the Bible tells us that to walk worthy is certainly a possibility. And it gives us a lot of helps on ways that we can walk worthy, what it entails, and so on and so forth. Now, of course, we need some practical application because that's how we are. <laughs> we need to get down to, to the nitty-gritty, as they say, right? We know, of course, that the first step, I believe most of you, I, I, I'm hoping, I believe that you're here because you love the Lord, and <laughs> that you know that the first step in our walk is salvation, right? And it's interesting to me, and you'll hear preachers say this. I have been a lot, around a lot of preachers in my life, so <laughs> they'll say, my, my grandfather was especially like this, I think, that whatever you're studying in the Bible, it just seems like the whole Bible is full of that. And, 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 and preachers just feel like, like this is the one thing in the Bible that, that goes from beginning to end. It doesn't matter what you study in the Bible. It just seems like that's the one theme throughout the whole Bible, because that's the kind of book it is. It's, it's a living book. But it was amazing to me when I looked up the word walk to see how, 
how much there is with the word walk in it. It's, it's incredible. So when it comes to salvation, we have Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And he also said, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And John, First John 1, 6 and 7, he says, um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? So there's that walk between light and darkness. It's not gray, and I want to stress it, okay? We live in a world that likes gray. They don't like black and white. They don't like light and darkness, okay? That's not a, a nice thing in our world. But it's here. It's the word of God. Okay, you either are walking in darkness or you are walking in light and there's no in between. And when we realize that, not only for ourselves now, I'm not saying this, but when we realize that about the people who are around us, you know, sometimes we get a little fuzzy on this. They're nice people, though. She's a nice person. And I work with her and and I like her and she's nice. Yeah, but is she saved? (laughs) Is she walking in light or is she walking in darkness? And there's not any space in between. And so this helps us. This helps to guide our walk. We need guidance on our walk. Okay? If, if, you know, if the Lord, if we just got saved and the Lord said, okay, so long, see you at heaven's gate someday, you know, have a good trip, we'd be in serious trouble, right? I know some people like to do this, but I don't. Can't imagine myself ever doing this. Some people like to leave for vacation, not having a clue where they're going, and just kind of be adventuresome. And and I I couldn't do that. (laughs) I like to know where I'm going to sleep tomorrow night, (laughs) and the next night, and the following night, and so on and so forth. Okay. Now maybe that's a woman thing. I don't know, but um, I like to know. And when we walk with the Lord, we need some guidance. We need some direction, don't we? And we need to know how to walk. And it's all here. It's all in His Word. And we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that's not just talking about a one-time cleansing there, okay? That's talking about an ongoing being cleansed is really the way it should be translated. Be being cleansed is what it should say. Be being cleansed, an ongoing cleansing. How else could we be blameless? We make mistakes. We falter. We don't do it right. How can we be blameless? Well, we can be blameless because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing me from all sin. Keeps on cleansing me. It's my job to make sure that I'm keeping on being cleansed, that I'm not forgetting to come to the cross. Okay? You can't separate yourself from the cross. You don't just come to the cross and say, okay, that's it. I'll never need to do that again. <laughs> that would be <laughs> That would be something, huh? doesn't work like that. And then it says in Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. It's interesting the many different types of walks that we're going to see here. That's one of them. Walk as children of light. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. It's our job to find out what's acceptable to him. 
How can I walk blameless before him? How can I keep my garments white? It's our job. Okay? Now, God didn't give us a whole library full of books that we all had to read in order to get to heaven. But he did give us one precious book. Right? And it's our job. It behooves us to find out how to walk with him in white. How to walk with him blameless. It's our job. It's your job. It's my job. And in that day, when you and I stand before him, we're not going to be able to say, well, you know, Lord, I really didn't know that. He's going to say, what? It was in my word. You had my word. You remember the story. This is one of the most, you can learn almost more theology, more doctrine, more everything from this one story in the Bible than than all the rest of them put together almost. I shouldn't say it that way. But it seems to me that so many times when I'm trying to explain something to someone, I come back to this story. And it's this story uh, that Jesus told about the rich man The rich man and Lazarus, the poor beggar, okay? They both died. And they both woke up on the other side. So that means, hello, we don't stay in some holding pen or or under the ground or or whatever you want to say. They both woke up on the other side, okay? All right. (laughs) They both recognized one another on the other side, okay? Another thing everybody always questions, will we know one another? Yeah, we will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Jesus knew Moses and Elijah when they came down on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? They were dead for a long, long time. All right, anyway, that's, I'm, getting, I'm getting off here. <laughs> Rich man and Lazarus, they die. They wake up on the other side. One in heaven, one in hell. The rich man's in hell, and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. Abraham was also dead for many years already here. Hello, 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 okay. <laughs> and... He says, oh, he says, Father Abraham, send, send that, send the Lazarus to me. It's so hot to put some water on my tongue. He says, can't do that. Great gulf fixed, one beneath, between the other. He can't come to you. You can't come here. Oh, he says, well, at least he says, please, he says, send him back to tell my brothers. I don't want my brothers here. You know how people joke, oh, we'll, all our friends, we'll all be in hell together. Well, this guy didn't want nobody to come and join him there, did he? It wasn't a joking matter. He said, send them back to tell my brothers so that they don't come here. What did Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. Now, they didn't have the New Testament, okay? They did not have it. It was just beginning. (laughs) They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, Moses and the prophets is enough to get us to heaven blameless, without spot. Did you ever think about that? A lot of people like to throw the Old Testament out and say, we don't need it anymore. It's, it was for then. It's not for now. I don't agree with them. <laughs> okay? They have Moses and the prophets, and if they won't listen to them, then even if somebody got raised from the dead and went back and told them, they're not going to believe them either. How I got on that, I don't have any idea. <laughs> There was a reason why I went there. Um, Anyway, oh, because the Bible, okay? Because we can get, that's what I was starting to say, was that there's not going to be any excuse in that day. It didn't hold up for that man, that rich man, okay? And it's not going to hold up for us either. We're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. You know how they say when it comes to your taxes, ignorance is not, doesn't get you off the hook. Well, ignorance isn't going to get you off the hook in heaven either. 
Okay? It's not. Because it's here. It's in his word. And he has given it to us. So, all right, let's go on. Um, then we also have that beautiful verse about when we are regenerated, we walk in newness of life. There's another one you want to write down. Walk in newness of life. Walk as children of light. Walk in newness of life. Old things should pass away. All things should become new. Sometimes you meet people who claim to be saved or you hear about politicians that claim to be saved or celebrities that claim to be saved. But when you look at their lifestyle, there is absolutely no change from from beginning to end. That's not salvation. Okay? Now, we're not here to judge one another in that respect. What they call salvation and what is salvation sometimes are two different things. But when we become born again, there is a change that takes place in our lives. Is there not? Okay, we have to walk in newness of life. Isaiah says, previous to redemption, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransoms of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And the psalmist says, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. And that talks of salvation because salvation brings joy. Okay? And when we're, that's one of the things that sometimes turns the world away or unbelievers away from us is when we're always, you know, oh, everything is always so terrible and we never have any joy in us. Well, who wants that? Okay? Who wants that? I don't want that. And I'm sure you don't either. Okay? Well, we've got it. Some people say, oh, yeah, but see, I don't have a face that smiles. You don't? <laughs> you try it. You practice. You go in front of your mirror, okay? And you turn up the corners. You know, it takes all the muscles in your face to frown, and it doesn't hardly take any muscles at all to smile. And, yeah, you may not have the most joyful countenance, but, you know, work on it. Work on it. Joyfulness is an attraction. When people see a joyful person that has the joy of the Lord, they they're curious. They're attracted. It's like a magnet. It pulls them. And they say, what do you got? What do you know? <laughs> How could you be joyful? All right? Especially if they know some of the troubles and some of the cares that are going on in our life. I don't mean hilarious, goofy joyfulness. You don't understand what I'm saying here. I'm talking about the joy, the real joy of the Lord, okay? Some people mistake being goofy and foolish for being full of the joy of the Lord. And there's such a big difference that there's really no comparison. Okay? We can be going through horrible trials and still have the joy of the Lord because we're on our way to heaven. Life is not easy. Believe me, my life has not been easy. I have been through dark days, deep waters. But God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Can that still fill my heart with joy? Yes, it can, and it should, and it must, because that's the advertisement that speaks to the world and says, I have a Savior, and I have something that's worth living for, and that's what is going to win people to Jesus Christ. And then there's this opposite flip side of the coin, which I just couldn't pass over. Paul writes to the Philippians, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice they're not enemies of Christ. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They have a problem with the cross. They don't, can't, can't find themselves a sinner. They can't come to the cross. 
And he weeps over this. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Let that sink into you. Don't set your mind on earthly things. We're not here forever. Phyllis and I were talking about this before. You know, life is full of change, and there's seasons in your life, and you move in your life from one season to another. And for some reason, we always think that where we're at right now, that's the way it's going to always be. Well, guess what, honey? (laughs) It's not. As a matter of fact, we don't even want it to be. We don't realize that. Remember, the only thing that's going to be forever is the other side, when we stand before him in white. That's what's forever. That's what's our goal. Don't mind earthly things. That's part of the person who walks as an enemy of the cross of Christ. This earth is passing away. Hold it lightly. Our citizenship, I love that word, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whom from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Praise God. So, there we have how we get started in the walk. Okay? You have to have a starting point, don't you? And that is the starting point. Now, in our lives, in our lives, we have, I think, probably, we compart, we decompart, I don't know how the right word to say this is. Anyway, we put everything in little boxes, that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) We have this part over here, we go to work, and then we come home, and we have this part over here. Parade it all out into, into separate parts. And that's too bad, because our Christianity has to be in all of Every area of our life, it has to flow into. Some people have a hard time understanding that. And um, they just feel that if they um, put on a, a nice, some nice clothes on Sunday morning and come to church and, you know, worship God. You know, we all have those religious clothes, right? <laughs> I'm going to church today. So, I know when I was growing up, <laughs> we had church clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to. I mean, come on, my mom was raising three kids, you know. And um, you couldn't wear your church clothes on the, every day of the week, you know. They couldn't afford <laughs> afford for us to live like that. So, and of course, now today we don't have so much dress code as we used to in those days. In those days it was a bigger deal, I guess. I don't know. Today you kind of come however, right? Which it's not. That's not the important thing. God looks on the heart. It all out into, into separate parts. And that's too bad because our Christianity has to be in all of every area of our life. It has to flow into. Some people have a hard time understanding that. And um, they just feel that if they um, put on a, a nice, some nice clothes on Sunday morning and come to church and, you know, we all have those religious clothes, right? <laughs> I'm going to church today. So... I know when I was growing up, <laughs> we had church clothes. <laughs> and we had to. I mean, come on, my mom was raising three kids, you know. And um, you couldn't wear your church clothes on the, every day of the week, you know. They couldn't afford, <laughs> afford for us to live like that. So, And, of course, now today we don't have so much dress code as we used to in those days. In those days it was a bigger deal, I guess. I don't know. Today you kind of come however, right? 
Or it's, it's not, that's not the important thing. God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outward. But what I'm saying is, sometimes we just have that church mode, okay? Um, whether it's clothes or whether it's a hat or, or whatever it is, okay? We have that church mode kind of mentality where, okay, this is my church day, and so I'm wearing this, and I'm, I'm doing that, and I'm putting my Bible under my arm, and I'm, you know, and, and now I'm going to church, you know, and now I'm going to be religious. <laughs> and we go to church, and we do our little routine, and now oh, I'm, I'm okay for the week, because now I went to church, <laughs> and now I won't get struck by lightning, and, uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's too bad. But that's, there's a lot. There's a lot of that kind of Christianity in the world. And that's not, that doesn't reach far enough. We need a much, 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 much bigger relationship and a walk with God. A continual conversation is part of what the walk is, okay? A continual conversation in order for it to fill our entire lives, okay? It's not about church. Jesus didn't have a church. If there were no more church buildings, we could still have church. Okay? Church is about people. Church is about relationship. And so, we're going to talk about the different parts today to help us again, as I said before, to apply it practically because we understand the part. <laughs> and hopefully it will be, be helpful to us. Walk worthy in my home. I need to walk worthy in my home. That's the first part that we're going to look at together. I want, yes, you can write it down. I want to walk worthy in my home. We're going to look at a woman in the Bible, and I already sort of alluded, mentioned her. Her name was Elizabeth, okay? And it already told us, I already read it to you, but I'm going to go back and read it again. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both, they were both, okay, now he was the priest, not her, but they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. That's quite a sentence. Did you really get that? Walk, that's Luke 1, 5 and 6. Luke 1, 5 and 6. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Yes, I would like that to be able to be said of me. I know I would, and I'm sure you would too. I want us to think for a couple of minutes about Elizabeth. She was a woman who was barren, had no child, children, and she was old. She was too old to have children, or at least so. Uh, on the, on the edge, anyway. I don't know if it actually tells us her age. And her husband, I think you know the story, Zacharias, he went to perform his... Now, in those days, they had a... The priests had a... What they what we would call a rotation, okay? And um, uh, the priest... It, it, the part that he did, okay, was a rotation that just came up every certain a couple of months, maybe once a year, okay? It wasn't frequently, okay, because there were enough of them so that, like, like the high priest obviously wasn't a rotational thing. But some of the other parts were, okay, the burning of incense and the prayers and some of the other routine things in, uh, in the worship of the tabernacle, they were on a rotation because it was hard work. And so his turn came, and actually this was a great honor. They were um, probably very 
happy when it did come time for their rotation that they were able to go and serve because it wasn't something they did on a daily basis. So he, it was his turn. He came to um, serve God in the temple there and to uh, burn the incense. And you know the story. As he went in to do his job and to do what he was supposed to do, lo and behold, an angel appears to him and tells him that he and his wife are going to have a son, tells him what his name should be, and um, John, um, I'm sorry, his name should be John, <laughs> and Zacharias is having a hard time believing, <laughs> because they're past the, the childbearing years, he's having a hard time believing that this could possibly be, that he's seen correctly, that all of it, all the, although it says that he was righteous and blameless. Don't forget that, okay? He was blameless. And so the angel said, okay, well, since you don't believe me, this will be the sign. You won't be able to speak until the baby's born. <laughs> Gee whiz, what a time he must have had going home to Elizabeth to try to explain to her. <laughs> no, it's not laryngitis. <laughs> what happened to him, huh? It says that probably, or at least what I read, that he probably had to use, um, they had tablets and wax and stuff, and he was able to write. Now, priests would be um, someone who had been taught to read and write, okay? Now, not not every common person was able to read and write in those days, but undoubtedly the priest was. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, he was able to communicate to her what had happened, and um, sure enough, it came true. And before you know it, Elizabeth was with child, and I'm sure even to her, it must have been a, a thing of amazement and of wonder that at her age, um, she could be bearing a child, okay? Truly a miracle. Now, in the world that we live, it doesn't seem quite so amazing, I don't think, because, I mean, today, you know, we got all of this stuff, you know, they fool around with all this fertility stuff, and they could do just about anything, I mean, it seems like, you know? So, um, it, to us, it's not quite so phenomenal, I don't think, as it was to somebody living in her day and age where there was no, none of that kind of stuff, okay? None. Zero. Not even a hospital, okay? <laughs> so, this was an amazing thing for her. And obviously, she thought about it quite a bit, okay? And then, of course, you know, later on, Mary, um, the angel appeared to Mary, her cousin, and what does Mary do? Mary decides, now, 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 there was no telephone, okay? There's no telephone. All right, so you have to understand this. It's hard for us because we just figure, oh, yeah, she went to visit Mary. Hello, Elizabeth, can I come over? No, no, it wasn't like that, okay? <laughs> Elizabeth was 60 miles away. No telephone, okay? So they didn't know what was going on in each other's lives. All right? I want you to understand that. That's important to this story. <laughs> And Elizabeth looks out down the road one day, and she sees this young woman walking up the road, and she knows who it is. Let me just read this to you, because this is written beautifully. Elizabeth looked down again at the figure advancing up the path, a green sprig of a girl. The older woman stepped carefully down the stairs and into the house to welcome her guests. But with the young woman's words of greeting came something that felt like a gale-force wind shaking the beams and rafters of the house. Steadying herself, the older woman felt suddenly invigorated. Her unborn baby leapt inside her as she shouted out a welcoming response, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believes that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary, who had just walked 60 miles, says to her, Ah, Hi, how you doing, Elizabeth? Good to see you. No. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for mighty, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Did you know who had said that? Did you ever know who said those words? He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. These were two women who were related to one another. They were in their home. Elizabeth was in her home. When she met Mary, she wasn't in church. And when Mary comes in her home, what does she say to her? Out comes this wonderful exclamation of praise to God. She walked in her home blameless before the Lord. It was real. It was a reality to her that God, Jehovah, was one day going to bring a Messiah into the world. And maybe now the time was right. And here were these two women. And they walked with God. And it showed when they met one another on the street. Are you embarrassed to meet a believer on the street and to say, praise the Lord, how are you? God bless you. Why are you ashamed? It should be what comes out of us. When somebody bumps into us, it's like a sponge. When you bump into a sponge, what happens? Something oozes out, whatever has in it, right? Well, if you think of yourself as a sponge, when somebody bumps into you, what comes out? What comes out? It's a good barometer for what's going on in here. What came out of these women? But beautiful. These, these, these praises to God. Everybody knows these words. Heathen, Catholic, Jew, Gentile. Everybody knows these words. Do they not? This is what came out of these women in their daily course of events. They didn't know that they were writing history. <laughs> they didn't know that these words were going to last for 2,000 years. They had no idea. This is just what came out of them as they walked in their daily life. And you have no idea how far your words are going to go into the lives of the people that you bump into in your daily life, in your home. Your home is your refuge, isn't it? As women, we connect with our homes more than we do with anything else. Men connect with their jobs, but we connect with our homes. Our home is our place. Our home reflects who we are, what we are about. Just that way. It's the way God made us. It's okay. It's the way it's supposed to be. But the people who come into your home, what do they get greeted with? What's in your home? What's your home like? Did you ever think about that? Does your home show that Christ resides there? Or does it show other things? If Christ should come and knock at your door and you were to open the door, 
Would you want to have to run around and put stuff away? (laughs) Think about it. Think about it a little. Make sure that your home is a place where Christ is welcome. I've been in homes where it's very difficult to speak about the Lord. The people in the home, they're not comfortable. You start to talk about Jesus, they almost squirm on their seats. They're not used to talking about Jesus at home. That's for church. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's not good. We should love to talk about Jesus. And we should love people who love to talk about Jesus. And that should be the passion of our heart is to talk about Jesus and what he's done for us and how good he is and some passage of scripture that he's made real to us. And it should just be our joy to talk about Jesus. What are we going to talk about throughout eternity? Certainly not sports and certainly not the weather because there won't be any weather up there. (laughs) And if you can't, you better start getting used to talking about Jesus down here because you're going to be mighty uncomfortable up there. If you haven't learned to talk about Jesus, because he's the light, and he's the sun, and he's the center. And so your home has to be a place where Jesus is. Well, your home can be your your atmosphere, too. Of course, you know, there's many different, we're all in different, different walks, walks of life. Our home can be what we bring with us, our atmosphere, okay? We have Jesus inside of us, and it's that, it's that, Immediate area around us that's our, that's our home, so to speak, that where we have to let people know that I belong to Jesus and I'm not ashamed of him. Another thing I want to say to you is to be the woman that God has called you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. You know, I, I don't know why we do this, but as women, you know, we look at somebody else. And, oh, she's so talented. Barbara, I'm going to pick on you because I happen to know that you are very talented at Decorating. You've made a beautiful, beautiful room in there for us. And we appreciate that because we're women and we're feminine and we like that. That looks nice. Oh, it just touches us. And some women are better at that than others. And she has a gift and she, she uses it well. But, you know, you can sit there and say, oh, gee, she's so lucky, you know, and I don't know. How come she can do that so good? And you can be jealous of that gift. And you know what? Sometimes as women that we destroy each other instead of, Okay. And that's too big. We do much better when we bond together, join together, and say, you know, she's good at that, and so let's get her to do that. And I'm good at making coffee, so I'll make the coffee, and I'm good at, you know, you understand what I'm saying here? We all have different talents, okay? And you don't have to have what I have, and I don't have to have what you have. I'm not supposed to. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be you. God made you to be you. He made you for the people who are in your life. And he made me for for the people in my life. And he made us just right. God doesn't make mistakes. When God creates something, he says, he looks and he says, it is what? It's all right. It's pretty good. It's, that's right. He says it is good. Every time he created something, he looked and he said, it's good. And we have to get God's opinion about ourselves into ourselves says he knows he we were formed he he knew us before we were formed in the womb and we have to know that he has a purpose for us we may see ourselves as imperfect as not like the next person 
But you know what you're not supposed to be the next person. You're supposed to be you. It's okay to be you. I have seen envy and jealousy destroy Christian women. I have seen it. And it's wickedness. And God hates it. There is no reason for us to be jealous and envious of each other as Christian women. We all have a talent that God has given to us. And you know the story of the talents in the Bible. He gave the talents, and, and one had five, and one had two, and one had one. But you know what? In the end, he expected the same thing from every one of them. It didn't matter how many. He had expected them to use their talent for his glory. That's all God expects of you. Maybe you have one. Maybe you have two. Maybe you have a hundred. From whom he who has more, more is expected. So actually, if you got one, be blessed. <laughs> you got it easier. <laughs> okay? And take that one talent, for goodness sakes, and don't bury it in the ground. But use it. Bloom it. Make it into something that nobody else in this world can make it because it's yours and God has given it to you and nobody can use it the way that you can because God has put it into your hands. No one else is supposed to be doing that. Nobody else but you. And so be the woman in your home that God has called you to be. You know, another thing that has happened in America is, I don't know so much about the rest of the world, but in America... We have this crazy idea that if we're at home taking care of a family um, and not out in the workplace doing some fabulous career, <clears throat> that, you know, oh, well, I'm just a housewife. Well, honey, I want to tell you something. <laughs> if that's the job God gave you to do, you're a minister to that home. You're a minister to those children. So if you have a husband in the home, you're a minister, okay? They need you to minister to them. That is a God-given job as important as standing in the pulpit, okay? For all you know, it may be more important. You may have a, a, a Billy Graham in your house. You may have, who, who knows? You don't know. You don't know how far, what, what God's going to do with your children's lives. You don't know. Where God wants your, where God wa- the things that God wants to birth through your husband. Or whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You need to stand as the minister of your home. As I mean, I know our, our husbands are the head, and I'm not. I'm not preaching a heretical doctrine here, okay? But <laughs> okay, they're the high priest. I, I know that. <laughs> but you also stand as a minister in your home. You know, if you're in a bad mood, it affects your whole house, don't it? All right, it affects the cat and the dog. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> All right? Don't tell me you don't minister to your home. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> so don't look down upon what God, the treasure, the talent that God has given you. You know, the Army used to say, I understand they just changed their slogan, be the best you can be, used to be their slogan, be the best you can be. Just heard it on the on the. Radio this week, they changed their slogan. I don't know why, they had, what they had to do to change it. But anyway, be the best you can be. Be the best woman you can be in your surroundings. God will help you. God will help you. Women, one of our functions in this, in this world is birthing. Now, not all of us are physical, physical mothers. 
who haven't all birthed uh, children, perhaps. But probably many of you have birthed, birthed physical children. If you haven't birthed children, then there's other things that God will birth through you. He will birth business, or he will birth a ministry, or whatever. But God will use you because that's our, one of our functions as women, the way God made us. It was to birth things. And sometimes we're so hesitant and we're so fearful of doing the thing that God put in our heart and we feel like it's going to, we feel pregnant with it. And we, and we, and we want it, we want, we, we think we should do it, but, oh, not me. Maybe not me. Maybe not me. Walk worthy. Do it. Birth the thing that God has called you into this world to birth. You don't have to be like the other woman around you. Be the woman God called you to be. Birth that ministry. Birth that business. Be the woman that God has called you to be. Do what God has called you to do. Walk in your home. Blameless. Some of the scriptural things that we have about walking in our homes. This one comes from Amos. I think we quoted a lot, but probably don't have a clue where it comes from. Amos 3.3. This is one of the basics. Can two walk together unless they are agreed now i'm not bringing condemnation on anybody if you're past that point and you're not walking in agreement with whoever your spouse is that's all right god can work anyhow um that's that's not not for condemnation but if you're before that okay remember it walk with someone walk with someone who you can be in agreement with try not don't make the mistake that some of the rest of us have made right okay Walk in agreement. We need to walk in agreement. That, that's not only for a spouse, but that also can, can apply to our business. If God wants to birth a business through you or a, a ministry, ministry is very important. Make sure your, your partner in your ministry, you can walk in agreement with them. Okay? The ministry will fail, whether be it small or be it large. Maybe your ministry is to clean the church. I don't know. But if somebody gets somebody to help you, make sure that they're not a complainer. That their vision is the same as yours. This is the ministry God gave you to do. And that they're not a slacker. That they say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just for church. It don't matter. Yes, it does matter. God gave you that ministry. It's very important to him. God chose one tribe only who were allowed to touch. Just think about the importance that God put on this. You know, we think that in today's world they pay people to, to clean the church. But God chose one tribe, only one tribe to handle the tabernacle. You couldn't just walk into the tabernacle and, and polish the silver and gold and, and, and sweep the floor. No, you couldn't. Not you or me. You had to be from the tribe of Aaron. And every utensil, every piece, God had a specific way for it to be cleaned, for it to be picked up, for it to be covered. Specifically, God wasn't general. He didn't say just do a good job. <clears throat> you following me here? So if your talent is to clean the church, don't think, oh, I'm just a janitor. Forget that stuff. That's baloney. That's the world. Okay? That's an honor. It's a privilege to be in the house of God, to vacuum the floor in the house of God, to clean the toilets in the house of God. Do it with gold in your heart. Do it as if you saw the Lord Jesus standing there. Handle the work of God. Whatever small part he gives you to do, handle it with great carefulness, with honor in your heart. When we honor something, 
we treat it differently, don't we? If I had, if I had a baseball here, you know, for guys, you know, signed by some famous guy, oh, it's worth so much, you know? Um, or if I had a, a musical instrument that was like really by some famous person, like a violin, a Stradivarius, you might have heard of that. That's like the best kind of violin you could possibly have. Well, then it's like, oh, wow. Well, why don't we treat the house of God like that? Oh, wow, this is God's house. I can sweep the floor. I can vacuum the rug. It'd be my joy, my honor to work in the house of God. When we treat it like that, it does something for us. Okay, I don't know how I got way out there, but anyway. <laughs> because I was saying, if that's your ministry, don't, don't, don't let somebody ruin it on you and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. They make you do that. No, honey, they don't make me do that. I do this because I love the King of Kings and I serve the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And they don't make me do this. Okay, this is what God gave me to do. All right, birthing is not without pain. <laughs> All right? My husband and I, as you'll see in the, uh, Sister Ann's going to give you the paper. She put the word birth there. I thought that was interesting. A birth in the ministry in the Poconos recently. And it wasn't without pain. Okay, I can tell you quite honestly. As a matter of fact, when we were in the closing process, I got, we got to one day where I actually said to the Lord, okay, Lord, that's it. I have no more strength. I can't push anymore. You're going to have to do a C-section here. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but I'm one of those crazy people. <laughs> I was just at the end of my strength, so I said, it's in your hands here. You're going to have to take over. And, um, you know, he always does when we put it in his hands. So you may have to push a little. You may have some pain and bursting, whatever it is that God has, is wanting to burst through you. But don't quit. You don't quit when you're bursting a baby. You want that baby. <laughs> you want to see that baby. You don't stop. Well, don't stop. Keep on so that you can walk in your home before God as the woman who God has called you to be. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me, the psalmist writes. I will walk within my house with a perfect Walk within your house in a perfect heart, with a perfect heart. And Ephesians tell us, tells us, therefore, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. And then it talks about how to show our children how to walk. Deuteronomy, it says, teach, teach them, talking about the law of God, teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in the house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, that's, I already did that part when I said, be comfortable in your home talking about the Lord, teaching your children about the Lord. If you talk about Jesus, your children will enjoy talking about Jesus. What you talk about, they talk about, right? <laughs> they repeat it. Oh, yes, they do in the most unusual places. <laughs> okay, talk about Jesus. Wouldn't you rather hear them talking about Jesus out, out in the supermarket than <laughs> some other silly thing? And you know, kids pick up so much when they're young. They take it in. They're like sponges. Fill, fill them with something good. Don't just sit them in front of a TV and let the garbage in. Garbage in, you know what comes out? Garbage. Okay? They use that in computer language. Garbage in, garbage out. 
Fill them with good. Fill them with good. If they're going to watch something, let it be something that's good. Fill them with the word. You know, you got the word in you. The Catholic Church used to say that if they had, give me your children and give me a child until it's seven, and then it was theirs forever, sort of, so to speak. And there's a lot of truth to that. Before a child is seven, they can take in a lot. As a matter of fact, they, they, I read once or I, I heard, I don't know which anymore, but that a child can learn in different languages before the age four just by hearing tapes played in different languages. Now, are you hearing me? Why aren't we playing Bible tapes? Why aren't we playing the Bible on cassette? Why isn't that child hearing that? That child could know the Bible before it's four years old if we would do stuff like that. What's wrong with us as Christians? We're a little slow sometimes. Why aren't we playing Christian music at home? Let that child learn the song. Let that child learn the Bible. By the time it's four, the Word of God is already bubbling up inside of it. How is he going to stray? Train up a child in the way he shall go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That's God's Word. It's not my idea. Let's be smart and take God's Word at face value. It says, it says, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. John said, at the end of his life, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. And then, this is an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> it was Abraham when he wanted uh, Isaac to have a wife. And this is an important part of your children's life, too. <laughs> He sends his son Eliezer back home to find the wife from Canaan. And he said to his servant, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. He had faith for his son's spouse. Okay? Have faith for your children's spouse. I don't care if they're two years old. Have faith and pray now for that God will prepare your children's spouses for them and your, your children for them. Likewise, both ways. He had faith, and that was part of his walk. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. We all want long life. We all want to live long. We take vitamins, and we walk, and we do all sorts of all sorts of things. This could tell us just about anything. Stop eating butter, so stop eating butter. Or ketchup is no good, so then stop eating ketchup. Or whatever. Whatever they tell us, we'll do it. If, we, if, it, if they tell us, you know, then you won't get cancer, and then you won't. We'll live long and, and all of that kind of stuff. Tell me you'll live long, and, you know, you'll try it. <laughs> For a little while, anyway. Well, here it is. You want to live long? What does it say? Walk in all the ways of the Lord, which he has commanded you. And you will live long. <laughs> okay? And then you can apply this. To, you can put in any name you want here. O House of Jacob. O House of McConnell. I don't know many of your names. O House of Borowski. <laughs> o House of whatever. Fill it in. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay? That's in Isaiah 2.5. And then you all know this one. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes in our homes, we have to exercise our faith a little. We don't see, you know, those kids, they go through the rebellious years. And, you know, hey, guys, we were all teenagers, so let's not be too hard on them. We all had our teenage years. You know, sometimes we forget that, that we were teenagers. 
We walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, they're, they're going to go through their teenage years. It's a normal part of life. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And if we've instilled and we've taught, we've done our part, we're going to have faith that God's going to bring them through those teenage years. And then there's this beautiful one because, as we know, family life can sometimes be very, very difficult. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. I love that hymn that says, How firm a foundation the saints of the Lord is laid for your faith by, in his excellent word. And then there's another verse. I'm trying to think of, Fear not, I am with you. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. And it, it, it has this thought in it about when we walk through, and remember it says through, okay? You don't get into a trial to stay there, to sit there forever, okay? You remember this the next time you're in a low spot, you're in a dark spot in your home. God didn't bring you there to let you sit and rock, okay? <laughs> it always says through. He brings us through even the valley of the shadow of death. So when you're grieving, you remember that he brings you through. You don't stay there. I know, I've been there. I've been through that valley. He brings us through the valleys and through the trials. He says, all that will live godly will what? Have a great hurrah rose-colored time, right? All that will live godly shall suffer persecution. We don't like that part of the Bible, so we don't read that too often. And many are the afflictions of the righteous. Did you know that the Bible said that? It says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But it doesn't stop there. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not out of some of them. Not out of a few of them. Not out of, not out of just the worst ones. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Praise the Lord. And so the next time you're walking in a dark place or in a hard place or in an uncomfortable place, you remember, the Lord delivers them out of them all. It comes to pass. It comes to pass. And that's my desire for not only you, but for myself also, that we will continue to walk with God in our home. That's our first ministry, our first as women, okay, I believe. As women, that's our first, our first ministry is in our homes. No matter what else, and we're going to get to that part later this afternoon. I think we're going to stop here. Um, we're going to talk about walking with God in our neighborhood. We're going to talk about walking with God in our workplace, and we're going to talk about walking with God in our church. So there are other areas, I don't want you to misunderstand me here, but I believe our first, our first ministry as women is in our home. And if we fulfill there, we will be able to fulfill in the other areas, okay, because that's kind of God's order. And so... Um, I just pray that this has been a blessing to you. Perhaps we can just close in a word of prayer. And then I know it's time for lunch, right? And um, we'll come back this afternoon. And this afternoon we'll end with uh, some time for prayer. To pray in what God has spoken to your heart about. 
Um, you know, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I know for me, unless you respond to what God speaks to you, you, you miss what he has for you. Did you ever notice that sometimes you hear things over and over and over again? Well, you know why? Because <laughs> you didn't get it. As far as God's concerned, you didn't get it the first time, honey. So he says it again. <laughs> and you know how you get it? You get it by getting on your knees and saying, you know, Lord, I just heard what you said to me, and I really need that. And won't you please give it to me now? I think I can say truthfully that I have received more help by responding to God like that at the moment, at the moment. And it has probably done more for me than I could have ever prayed to up to myself. You know, you can't possibly, we have to understand this, you can't possibly pray up to every blessing, pray to every, every bit of knowledge and, and help that you need for yourself by yourself. Okay? You need all the help you can get. And that's one of the provisions God has made for us. We come together, we worship, he prepares our heart, he opens our heart. Why does he open our heart? So that when we hear his word, his word can take root in us. But if you just run out and say, oh, that was great, wasn't that a great women's retreat? We had a great time, that was fantastic, this, that, and the other. And you never stop and take time to pray over it and say, but Lord, I need that part. I need that. I need what you spoke to me. It wasn't just what God, what I said to you. I can't give you nothing, honey. I can't give you nothing. And you've probably heard everything I've said. You've heard it before sometime in your life. If you could think hard enough, you can remember somebody else who said it. Your pastor's probably said it to you. I haven't told you anything new or unusual this morning. I can't give you anything. It's the Holy Spirit of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who touches our hearts, who makes adjustments on us. We need adjustments, don't we? We need an operation of God. I love that verse that talks about how God's hands perform an operation on us. Oh, yes, Lord. I need that operation, Lord. Operate on my heart, oh, Lord. Change me. Make me the woman of God that you have called me to be. I want you to change me. Change me now, Lord. And it's been my experience that whenever I have been like that with God, honest with God, that he has come to me and given me more help than I could have received if I had just spent hours by myself praying over that one little thing in my little corner by myself. Not to say that praying is not important and that it doesn't accomplish anything. Don't misunderstand me here. Of course it does. But you understand what I'm saying to you? There's, there's help. God has given us help. It's like somebody reaching out their hand. You're stumbling and you're about to fall or, or, or you, you're just, you know, you just need that hand of help. And here's God's great hand of help being extended to us today because we took this day and set it aside. And if we just take a few moments, we don't want to miss the most important part. And we grasp that hand. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. My father loved those words in the end. Yes, Lord. You could hear him on the platform often say those words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Those are important words. Learn to say them. Get them in your vocabulary. Yes, Lord. I take from your great hand of help today what you are giving me. I will treasure it. I will walk in the light of your countenance. I will walk in the truth that you have imparted to me today. God will change your life, and that's why we're here, is so that he will change our lives. Let's close in prayer, shall we?